Welcome to the BSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy podcast on Thursday, the 10th of February. Uh, hi, Phil, how are you doing? Uh, very good, Andrew, and it's uh, nice and busy down in London this week. Uh, yeah, look, I think, uh, well, as you know, I happen to have a very strong work. That working from home is not the way forward. Uh, it's nice to see the city uh, pretty active again. We've been active wandering around the place seeing fund managers, um, which is good. Always good to sit in front of the fund manager rather than on a, a video call. You get a much better re- reaction, I believe. Um, but yeah, and uh, look, you know, Boris Johnson is saying that, you know, we won't have to self-isolate again soon. We're, we're almost just saying it's just another disease like a cough or a cold or a flu. Um, but at BSA, we have a very strict policy that if you've got any of those, doesn't matter which it is, you don't come into the office. Um, because you can work from home whilst you're not feeling great. And that is the stance we will continue to take even once it's all over. Anyway, we're not here to talk about the BSA health and safety policy. No, we're not. <laughs> Which, of course, I take seriously as the CEO. <laughs> but I think probably our health and safety officer, I'm not, I'm not actually even sure who it is, uh, takes it more seriously than I do. Um, actually, I tell you, talking of wacky sort of things out as well, I, I see that uh, this week, um, scientists are saying they've made some breakthroughs on nuclear fusion. Uh, I don't know if you've been following that, Phil. I, I have. And do you know something, Andrew? A candid confession. I used to work there. It's the Joint European Taurus at Column Laboratory. And so when I was a student um, back when, um, yeah, the, uh, the, the Tokamak reactor uh, got fired up. So there you are. Well, that's it. Well, so come on, tell us. I mean, I'll, I'll give, I was going to give you my view, but I'm going to ask you for your view first on, on where we stand. On, on, I mean, obviously, nuclear fusion is the, is the holy grail. Yeah. You know, you're effectively creating a, a mini star. Yeah. You know, it would produce enough energy for the whole blooming planet um, at virtually no cost at all. But, you know, I, OK, I'll give you my view first because I've started talking now. You know, we're still, let's be honest, 30 years away from it actually happening. So I don't think we have to panic about changing our strategy in terms of you know where we're going on on transitional energy but you know what's your view phil um it's taken what nearly four crikey you know nearly four decades to sort of get to what they've announced uh, this week and um, i mean i studied physics it, it's a horrendously complex bit of physics uh, you know controlling nuclear fusion there's you know, massive temperatures involved and containment and voltages and getting stability of the plasma. So uh, I still think that it is a very good number of years away, um, but uh, still seen as 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 very credible. And uh, a huge amount of money is now being put into nuclear fusion as a, you know, as a serious uh, energy generator. So let's see. And it was, you know, it was was quite positive news this week. But yeah. So it's, it is exciting and it's an amazing thing to go and see, Andrew, I'll tell you. It's, it's but would you agree with my sort of 30 years or more before it starts to become you know, commercial? It could well be. It could well be. But um, still, we have to, human nature, we have to investigate these things and, uh, and, and invest in them uh, if it is seen as a you know, a feasible option at some stage. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's interesting. you say it's complex physics. I mean, clearly it's highly complex. complex. Yeah. The actual, the concept of it all is basically bashing, you know, deuterium and tritorium, which are, you know, multi yeah, together yeah. to create massive yeah. amounts of energy and you actually get helium and neutrons spinning off. Um, that is correct, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, deuterium and tritium. Yeah. 
there you go. You see, I read chemistry at university. You'd never believed it, would you? <laughs> a couple of scientists on podcast, Andrew. I know, it's a bit worrying. <laughs> I'll tell you something else. We're going for wacky ideas, obviously, this week, Phil. I don't know if you noticed uh, that there's been a change in the law for private parking companies. Wait for it. I will get to where this comes to technology, all right? Um, now, most people probably think that's great because I hate these private parking companies because, you know, you go there and you stay there one minute longer than you should do because you've laden down with shopping and you get a bloody ticket for 100 quid or whatever. Uh, and it, it's all these people where, you know, you get there also and you have to have an app to type in the number. And if you get your number plate a bit wrong, you know, you put in noughts instead of o's, they still try and find you. And it's a real hassle. Well, the interesting thing actually about the really advanced private parking companies, and we are talking about them, actually is they're technology companies. Uh, what they really are interested in is not the fines necessarily. In fact, some of them don't, the fine really isn't that appealing to them. Um, but it's the data they get from when you go and park in that car park. Because basically when you park in a private car park, the operator is able to analyze basically who you are because they will know what car you're in They'll know the, the number plate. They'll know how long you're staying, how regularly you go there. They can, from that, work out maybe what your shopping habits are, which shops you could go to. And so the future of park, and by the way, this applies also at motorway service stations. Motorway service stations parking is normally operated privately. Um, obviously, the fine then really becomes the most irrelevant because most people go to it and then drive off half an hour later. But you could imagine a situation where on a motorway service station, maybe, you know, you drive into the car park. As you do that, you're probably not aware of it, but a camera is taking a picture of your car, recognizing the number plate, knows exactly who you are. Before you even step out of the car, your phone may go, hey, did you know, but there's a special deal on at Burger King for this. And if you go to Marks and Spencer's last year, there's a special deal for that. And that's what actually private parking is all about. It's data information, using that data to direct customers um, to shops or services. Uh, and there is a huge growth market. And data, as we know, is incredibly important. It's what so many of these companies spend literally millions and millions and millions collecting so that they can analyze people's habits and what they want to spend their money on. Yeah, that was a wacky idea, wasn't it? Well, <laughs> wacky thought, wacky thought, not an idea. It's a fact, That's huge. I'm telling you it's true. You stumped me into you stumped me into silence, but I tell you what, that's all very that is all very very true. Yeah, tiny targeted marketing based on uh, based on location, but I didn't know that specifically about the about the car parks uh, gathering that. And of course, I've just gone parked at the station, um, had my car identified on ANPR. So let's they know I commute regularly. Let's see what they uh, see what they come up with. Well. No, there you go. You, you'll never be able to park in the same way again, will you? Uh, no, get sent loads of adverts for Wellingtons or something. In case it was <laughs> uh, now, I'll also tell you, we're going to stay on wacky thoughts here, right? Um, but I'm going to give you another one now. I don't know if you noticed this week, but uh, um, a Vietnamese company called Vinfast is uh, basically has decided that by the end of 2022, all of its ICE engines or internal combustion engines will stop and it is going purely EV. Um, it also has an intention to seriously enter the international market. Um, they actually, I, I happen to know VinFast a little bit because I've actually um, 
been to Ho Chi Minh uh, and been around Vietnam. I'm a great supporter of the Vietnam Enterprise Investment Trust. It's a big shareholding position of mine. I know the management very well. I think Vietnam is a fascinating country to invest in. Um, but I think that if you look at the cars, the models that VinFast have, they're mainly SUVs at the moment. They want to push out there on the EV market, but they build some amazing cars. Um, I think they will be a leader in actually developing the EV market and internationally. Um, I suspect that any listener to this has never even heard of VinFast. Seriously recommend you have a look at their website, get to know them a little bit. Um, I think it will be one of the future car companies that we all know about. Well, that sounds very interesting, especially if it's being developed in Vietnam and it's probably being developed for, I don't know, other sorts of different markets, budgets or, you know, requirements. Yeah, yeah that's, that sounds interesting. I hadn't heard of them. So there you are. There's three fairly off the wall thoughts, ideas for you. Um, there's another one which actually I just mentioned. We, we've talked on this podcast for a while that uh, the arm transaction between SoftBank and NVIDIA would collapse. Uh, it, it then did. We also predicted that they would then try and list it. And that's what they're now going to try and do by the looks of it. Uh, we've also, of course, predicted that um, the way they'll list it is by getting quite a few semiconductor companies and NVIDIA, you know, uh, Taiwan semiconductor manufacturer, TSMC, uh, and various of those to take strategic stakes. So they're all in there with maybe, you know, 5 to 10% each uh, in order to make the flotation happen. Everything else we predicted has come true. That last bit hasn't happened yet, but I'm predicting it and I think it will come true. Uh, and it will be an amazing float. I just hope that float does come to London and not to the US um, because it would be a, a great showcase for London, but we'll obviously have to wait and see. It would it would be it would be wonderful because and a, and a lot of fund managers, you know, in the city here will have known Arm from the past anyway. I'd be, yeah. I'd be very very familiar with the business, what it's all about. It's in mar- you know it's in markets and the and the um, the idea on the semiconductor companies coming in and uh, having various shares makes a terrific amount of sense because all of them have a vested interest. Um, you know, and all of them are, you know, will use ARM at the forefront of their of their chip developments. So that that's an interesting one because you remember the Imagination Technologies had Intel and Apple as as strategic shareholders, and Imagination Technologies was uh, graphics chips for mobile phones. So I remember yep. that. Well, that that yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Andrew. Well, it, actually, my predictions don't come right just because I'm clever. I won't make a comment on that. Um, but obviously, I do have particularly good sources because obviously I did do the original float of ARM in London um, when I was working at Orgavet and I've known the ARM, the older, the original ARM management for a long, long, long time, right back to 1993 when I first met Sir Robin Saxby. Um, and I still see them regularly and sort of get a little bit of a hint from them what might be about to happen. Um, so that's, I just simply have good sources of information, but that's the secret of being a good broker, your sources of information. That is very, very true. Right, what have you got, Phil, today? What? <laughs> you put me on the spot. Oh, Series Power. Yeah, that was an interesting. They're having a threesome. They are having a, yes, they are. They didn't use the term threesome in the RNS, I hasten to add. However, they did say a three-way system joint venture uh, was announced. So, uh, so Series Power, CWR ticker, 1.2 billion market cap, and it's a fuel cell. Uh, tech development and 
developer. And it's, uh, yeah, the three-way JVs with uh, Waichai Power, uh, Robert Bosch. Um, and this is to access uh, fuel cell opportunities in China. I think both Waichai and Robert Bosch are actually investors in Ceres, Andrew. Is that correct? Yeah, they are. I mean, what, what's happened here is that Ceres has got two really good partners, Bosch and Waichai. Uh, and the partners have now obviously been talking to each other uh, and said, hey, look, you know, we should get into bed with each other again. So I'm not trying to go back to the threesome bit again, uh, but said, look, you know, let's 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 why don't we get together as well, basically for China. Um, so, yeah, look, it's it's one of those really sort of nice, happy endings, should we say, um, where everyone comes out a winner. Um, so I thought it was a really nice announcement. And Sarah's is a is been really successful. I mean, the one issue we have at the moment in this whole sort of transitional energy sector is um, actually there are hedge funds out there um, who are shorting these stocks. Um, I know there's a, a guy called Renaud Saleur who was a trader at, at Soros. He now runs a um, thing called Anaconda Investments. Uh, and he, his, he openly says, look, I'm shorting hydrogen stocks, things like ITM Power, Ceres, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, we know that, you know, unfortunately, our client, Infinity Energy Systems, we know that's being shorted by some people because we can see the, um, we can see who's stock lending um, and the borrowers out there. So there's obviously shorts for it. Uh, and look, at the moment, obviously, because of um, ARC, People are sort of jumping on the bandwagon with the issues they've got. Hey, let's short stocks that maybe they're being forced sellers of, et cetera, et cetera. I suppose the, you know, and it was fine when some of these stocks were, frankly, very high valuations in terms of the development of their business. Um, but, um, you know, they're now not at crazy valuations, most of these things. They actually come down to levels where you can do a DCF or something like that and actually quite easily justify the market cap. Um, so it's probably a little bit late for the short game. Um, that is why, if, if anybody listening is wondering why some of these stocks are flying around like crazy and some kind of sort of falling 10%, it is all to do with the fact that there are short sellers in the space and down at this sort of size company. Um, that's stock markets for you. You have to be aware of what's going on both on the buy side and the sell side, how to understand where a stock price is going to trade. You, you you absolutely do, but it's you know long term they need you need some stability in these share prices because these technologies are you know at the end of the day highly innovative and as you say you know, they they can be scaled you know now they're getting increasing traction the serious players involved around the whole space um, and and it's looking like you know they're coming out of the laboratory and into flipping you know into manufacturing into scalable end markets and therefore yeah you can do a sensible DCF on them so they need you know, they need supporting. Well, look in my view, everyone should be really. I mean, not everyone should be a long-term investor. Clearly, there are short-term people as well, but I'm certainly a long-term investor. Um, look, I mean, there are pros and cons. You know, at least one of the things about having short sellers in there and prices moving around everywhere is it creates liquidity. And, you know, we know that people are always clamoring for more liquidity. Um, if you don't have much liquidity, share prices tend to, tend to stay very stable. So you sort of can't have your cake and eat it too. Um, you know, if you can have liquidity, you're going to have a volatile share price. Um, and if you have a volatile share price, you know, you'll have short term traders within it and you'll probably get short sellers as well. So, you know, it, it's yeah. you can't have everything in this world, unfortunately. 
most people want everything. Right, but we don't, and we're very modest folks. Right, a dark trace. Yes, dark trace. Yes, the ticket is dark, and, and probably there's a bit of a quiz element in this announcement for, for investors. Uh, the market cap's 2.8 billion, and of course they are a global cyber security um, company uh, listed in the UK, and they've announced that a, quote, multinational electronics corporation signed a million dollar deal with Darktrace to protect its business from cyber attacks. Uh, and obviously cyber continues to be very much in the news. Anyway, it says the company that they've agreed the deal with uh, has over 250,000 employees across 70 countries. Um, and it's deployed Darktrace Enterprise Immune System to defend its business. And I sat, I read that announcement and I thought, well, bully for them, that is very good. Uh, but then I was trying to think which um, multinational electronics corporation, Andrew, has 250,000 employees. Have you worked it out yet? Yeah? Well, I think it may be Samsung, but I don't know for sure, obviously, because it's not in the announcement. But that was, a, that was one, one that I found this morning. So if any of our listeners know of the electronics companies that are over 250,000 employees, then... Uh, you know, there we go. But anyway, that's uh, that was a that was a good announcement from uh, from from Darktrace. And they, of course, the good thing is, you know, when a company wins uh, an initial deal with such a large business, uh, you know, inevitably the product gets tried, tested within that organisation, and if it's found to be good, then there's a lot of uh, cross-selling to be done across the organisation. So we're kind of always looking. We like. Um, you know, growth companies where we do see them sign up with very large organisations. Of course, as long as it's done on reasonable commercial terms, they're not giving their products away uh, because it always is, you know, creates opportunity. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, you know, you're, you're, first of all, your puzzle is a bit like Wordle, isn't it? You try and solve the puzzle and you've got five attempts, whatever it is to do it in. Um, Wordle now has been bought by the Washington Post, or the New York Times, actually, I think, for a, a million Dollars. Apparently, the game was invented by somebody who, who created it for his girlfriend while she was traveling overseas. But anyway, Dark Trace is interesting. I mean, it IPO'd huge, very, very successfully, had a fantastic market, you know, went from sort of four quid to over eight quid, nine quid, ten quid. And then, sort of, you know, like all the other technology stocks, has just collapsed um, since the back end of last year, back now down to about 440p, not far from the IPO price, sorry, 420p. I Apologise. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of back where we started, and yeah, it's just hurt. But I mean, it's interesting. I saw a statistic um, on IPOs. This is in the US. In fairness, um, biotech groups that listed in 2021 are trading on average 37 percent below their IPO price, whereas <laughs> this is the terrible bit compared to a 22 percent fall for all newly listed US companies. I mean, you know, anybody who took an IPO, basically, what it's saying in the US last year has lost a lot of money. And I mean, a lot of money, which is pretty shocking, really, isn't it? Um, but also just put that into perspective. Um, when you're looking at your own portfolio, if you've got losses, um, you're not the only one. Uh, if you haven't got losses, you've done exceptionally well. Well done. Uh, yes. Talking of, of yep. results, by the way, and on, on the big one, I don't know if you saw Siemens. We talk a lot on here about Siemens Gamesa, but actually Siemens itself is a slightly different company and simply has stakes 
um, in the various sort of, it has a stake in Siemens Energy, it has a stake in Siemens Gamesa. But I see they actually had exceptionally good results uh, today. Uh, actually, uh, what was it? Uh, orders were up 42% on the same period last year, which is sort of pretty good. Um, and yeah, it has a 35% stake in Siemens Energy, which controls Siemens Gamesa. I think it has a sort of 70% stake or something. Uh, but yeah, Siemens, you know, beat all analysts' expectations. Um, actually, net profits were up, I think, about 20%. Uh, so a good result from Siemens, which is nice to see. But and uh, yeah. I was just going to say, Andrew, that'd be worth looking. I mean, I'm sorry, I, I, I missed that one, but it would be worth sort of investors looking at that one further because, you know, you think about Siemens globally, how exposed they are to various industries across the globe and capital spend. That's, that could be quite an indicator. That's very interesting. Uh, I'm glad I've told you something very interesting. I think I've told you quite a lot of interesting things on this podcast, Phil. <laughs> you, you, you have. It's always a great learning exercise for me, Andrew. <laughs> Come on, you tell me something. <laughs> well, I, I see. I don't know if you saw. Um, there was uh, an update from the wonderfully named Discover IE. Uh, DSCV is the ticket. It's 830 million market cap. Um, probably better known years ago for ACAL distribution, uh, electronics distribution. I don't know if you came across ACAL before. Um, but the so it's an electronics company, UK based. Uh, and in November, actually, they they disposed of the original distribution business, ACAL, for 50 million pounds. And they're now, now focusing on. Uh, their electronics um, components business, and they divide, you know, they design design components and get them produced. But they're they're exposed to renewables, transport, medical, and industrial sectors. So all sort of long term uh, growth growth sectors, and not only that's ironically some of the, the areas that Siemens are very much in involved with. But they had a uh, they had a trading a trading update, and that was for the four months to January. Um, and uh, like Siemens, I mean, they'd seen their organic orders up 18%, um, which was good. And their order books at record levels uh, of 216 million and over, what, 65% higher organically than a year ago. Um, so, you know, a real indication there that that capital spend um, is very much, you know, restocking is, is being coming back, you know, classic economic cycle. Uh, recovery there for them. Uh, so that was that was uh, quite interesting. And uh, in a similar kind of market is Solid State. Don't you come across them before? That's S O L I, but it's 99 million market cap. Again, it's an electronics distributor, but with value add uh, electronics uh, designing that they do, and they also manufacture as well. And then computing power, communications, and imaging. Uh, they had a good trading update as well. Uh, and they were saying that they're expecting um, revenues. This was, I think, this was full year ending March. Revenues are above 80 million uh, versus 66 million, and profit before tax was well ahead of consensus expectations. So that's, you know, you know that, that that's very good. And bear in mind that both companies, in their own way, are, are operating in constrained supply environments. So uh, I thought that was uh, that's pretty positive. I think in general we are still seeing you know companies coming in with pretty good results, pretty good trading updates, beating expectations, which is why you know the market sell-off um, needs to be put a little bit into perspective. That actually, you know, it's a technical sell-off probably as people switch from growth to value rather than a fundamental sell-off, uh, and why stocks are looking so cheap 
probably at the moment. Oh, well, starting to look cheap. Uh, at one that unfortunately didn't quite hit that um, category was Lamprell, which we like because it's a um, a picks and shovels stock. They did put a trading statement out, unfortunately, this week, which, you know, actually, I mean, parts of it are really, really positive. And as much mm. as, you know, they've got 15% year on year growth, revenue yep. of, you know, just short of 400 million US dollars. Um, you know, everything's going pretty well, except it then talks about further funding possibly being needed for working capital stuff if this and this doesn't happen. You know, we've, we've talked to the CEO, Christopher McDonald, quite a lot. And, you know, it's so tantalizingly close to getting there, but it, it needs a huge amount of revenue to, to be profitable. And it just has got this sort of permanent need for working capital uh, because of the sort of stuff it does. And so slightly disappointing there and, and just hit the shares a little bit when they announced that, not surprisingly. But it is, you know, it is a good company. Uh, it just, it almost needs that sort of big brother to come in and just help it across the line and give it a little bit of a, a leg up, shall we say. Yeah. That's a that's a fair observation, and I, and I think also I, I was reading the, their statement that they um, there's a lot of labour involved in the build the you know the the equipment build that they do rebuild, and of course COVID has had its impact on on some of that as well. So maybe there's a bit of recovery to come um, post that. But yeah, hear what you say. Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else you've got? Um, well, there was a little announcement this morning from uh, Frontier IP Group, who we uh, we look after. Um, uh, FIP is the ticker. Uh, that yeah, the, the Frontier IP gets uh, they derive uh, they get stakes in early stage technology companies for the commercialisation work that they. Uh, they undertake with those with those companies, and, and one of them they, they've got a portfolio of of uh, companies that they have stakes in, and uh, just one of them was received a 3.3 million euro grant this morning called Cambridge Ram and Imaging, but it's it's imaging technology, um, and it's using uh, graphene based ultra fast fiber lasers. It's for digital imaging of patient tissues, um, and they uh, this grant will go towards developing the technology for uh, cancer. Uh, cancer treatment. So that was a. I thought that was a nice announcement for them, and uh, they've just been making generally good progress, Andrew. I mean, they sold um, Excientia, which is uh, AI for drug discovery, uh, one that they've had for many many years. It came out of Dundee University and listed on Nasdaq hugely successfully, and they were able to sell some shares uh, in that post IPO. They did that earlier, uh, did it in January, so it helps them with working capital. So it's just just making generally good progress. So it was a nice announcement. Yeah, look, you know, we talk a lot about early stage tech on this podcast, but if you think about it, it's a fantastic asset class at the moment to be invested in because early stage tech, we know it is sort of a high growth area and therefore you're likely to have big winners and that's what you're hoping for to give you outstanding performance. But you think about it, it inflation really doesn't affect early stage tech. Uh, political issues don't really affect early stage tech. Actually, cost pressures don't particularly affect early stage tech. Supply chain doesn't normally affect them too much. Um, worries about a war between Russia don't really affect early stage tech. But they're, they're sort of immune to all of these macro factors that cause us so many other worries elsewhere. Uh, and so as an asset class, it's a great asset class to be in. But the one problem with early stage tech, and I'm talking about really early stage tech, is 
for your average person, it's it's virtually impossible to know what is good and what is bad because it's 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 you have to be an absolute expert. And that's why actually investing in a, a sort of be it a, a fund or a company that makes these investments that is run by a very professional person uh, and, and also has a portfolio basket because just making one investment is risky. It may not happen. You need to have a portfolio, you know, probably at least a dozen companies so that if a couple go wrong and go to nothing, you still only really need one to be a unicorn and, you know, and you're going to make an awful lot of money. So we are a big advocate of these early stage tech collective instruments, should we call them? We are, we are indeed, and and Frontier IP and Excientia have their, you know, had their unicorn. I think um, it listed for several billion dollars on 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 Nasdaq. Yeah, and you know the other one, obviously, that we've just floated um, is is Superseed, uh, and we really like that too. But again, you you know, you buy these things, just don't don't think you're going to trade them short term. You're not. You buy them, take them away, come back five, ten years later, you should have made an awful lot of money. Um, and on that note, Phil, I think we've done our 30 minutes whiz pie today, probably because I've been coming up with all these wacky ideas. But anyway, I hope uh, everybody enjoyed it. Um, I hope it was useful. Do messages if you got comments, views, you thought it was rubbish, thought it was too wacky, or you want us to talk about something next week. Thank you very much. <laughs> Shut next week. <laughs>